Please stand with me this morning and open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Father, today we thank you again for your word. And Lord, I come before you as a man in need of your grace. I come before you as a man, Father, lost without your spirit. I come before you as a man, Father, filled with hope in your name and your name alone. And today, Father, as we look to your word and as we think about our nation, we come and we bind our hearts and our voices together to ask you to heal our land. Father, to awaken us that we would not compromise, that we would stand firmly led by your word instead of being influenced by our culture. Father, let us be a people who walk in the joy of your presence and the hope of your spirit each and every day. We humble ourselves before you and ask you to guide us today. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Give us guidance and wisdom where we need guidance and wisdom. And let your name be glorified and let people walk in the fullness of life that comes in Jesus' name. We thank you for this in his precious name. Amen. When when my kids were going through school and playing sports, I heard as you go to sports events, you hear the Star Spangled Banner. And when you go to junior high and high school sports events, you hear it in all kinds of different ways. Uh, There's soloists who come out and sing it. There's trios and ensembles that come out and sing it. There's choirs who come out and sing it. There's bands that play it. In some places where they're looking for the easy way out, they just put a recording on and play it. And we all stand and put our hands over our hearts and listen to the song. Now, here's what I found in my, in my own life. I found that I was in that setting so often that at times as the Star Spangled Banner would be playing, my mind would be wondering. Thinking about the game or thinking about the weather or some other thing that was going on. And one night in that process, I stopped myself. I realized, wait a second. This, is, this isn't a trivial thing. This is an important thing. And I'm, I'm sitting here with my mind wandering all over the place. I didn't say anything to anybody else, but uh, I thought that isn't right. Our freedom, our freedom that we celebrate today, that we can come here today and rejoice, pray for our country, stand with certain beliefs. This freedom didn't come free. There's been a great price and continues to be a great price that's paid for us to have the freedoms that we have. And so I thought I should respect that more. So I decided that any time I heard the national anthem that I would use my love for history to think about the cost of our freedom. 
And, and that, that has become, as I've done that in my life, even today as I stood here and, and began to think about some of the things that have happened so that we can be here today. What's happened for me in that is that every time I hear the national anthem, it, it's become a moving experience to think about the sacrifice of men and women so we can go to ball games. So we can sit in our churches and express our beliefs. So that I can say anything up here that I want to say. And nobody's going to arrest me tomorrow. I, can, I, can, I cannot be picked up by the police tonight and arrested and beaten, maybe killed because someone in power doesn't like what I say today. And yet I know that around the world, there are many places where that is not the case. Where they whisper even their faith beliefs very quietly in hidden places for fear of what will happen to them if they proclaim them out in public and in places around the world. I have a t-shirt at home that has a cross on it. And I, I got this t-shirt. I don't buy a lot of t-shirts, but I got this one because it really struck me. The t-shirt has a cross on it, and it says, this t-shirt is illegal in 57 different countries. Think about that. Now, I hope we can pass that freedom on to our children and grandchildren. But you better understand our times. There are people who want to take that freedom from us. And it's easy for us to be naive at times for Christians to sit back and say, oh, that's not the case. That, that, you know, you're overreacting. There's really not any kind of conspiracy or group out there. I'll tell you, the enemy has a conspiracy against our country. And there are people who are a part of it. They want to say that if we disagree with them, if we proclaim certain things to be sin, that it's actually bigotry and a hate crime. Right now in the California State Senate, there's a bill, 1146, that is challenging the basic liberties of Christian institutions. Uh, this is legislation that would prevent uh, discrimination in any sense, prevent any boundaries, any any set rules by a religious by our religious universities there to set standards around sexual morality. The irony, however, is lost on the California Assemblyman uh, Evan Lowe, who called religiously exempt schools. This is what he says about them: the worst of the worst in terms of institutions that discriminate. Talking about Christian schools. The author of the bill, Senator Ricardo Laura, commented to the, to, in the Los Angeles Times, these universities essentially have a license to discriminate and students have absolutely no recourse. What, this, what the colleges are doing is they're saying, if you come to our college, you have to go to chapel. If you attend our college, you have to sign a statement of faith that you're a believer 
to attend our college. What the colleges are doing is they're saying, you have to go to religious instruction if you go to our college. And what they're doing is they're saying, you have to have a code of conduct that matches our faith if you come to our college or if you teach at our college. And right now in the, in the California State Senate, they're trying to make it illegal for colleges and universities to do those very things. In the United States of America today, where we're supposed to celebrate freedom, instead of what they're saying is they're attacking discrimination, but they're attacking it by discriminating and by coming against Americans. There's lawsuits across America today because in many of our universities, they are banning and shutting down and taking away the university rights for clubs to be religious clubs because if a Christian club won't say anybody can run to be the president of our organization, anyone, then that's discrimination. What they want to have happen is if somebody doesn't, is, a, is, is a pagan, if somebody is a, 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 of some other faith, they can still come in and try to run to be the head of a Christian organization. And the New York Times points out that many of these conflicts arise when, on, when, when, when Christian campus groups refuse to agree with the college's demand that any student, regardless of his or her religious belief, should be able to run for election as a leader of any group, including the Christian association. So in Christian associations say, no, to be the president of our group, you've got to be a Christian living a moral Christian life founded by the word of God. The college is saying that you can't be a, a, a recognized institution on our campus because that's discrimination. Friends, they're trying to take our liberties and our freedom from us. In two of our major states now, they have made room Listen, you're going to love this. They have made legal room for Muslim students to have time set aside to pray in school. Christian students don't get that right. Muslim students are given that right. This is what's going on in America today. I think we've lost our minds. Actually, what it is is it's spiritual blindness. Our, fa- our forefathers lived in, in a tough day, a day where government could tell you that uh, if they had a soldier there, you had to keep him in your home, a day where you could be arrested and imprisoned without any pro- due process, a day where you would be taxed without any representation, a day when religious controls could be assigned by the state. When the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence signed that document, it was not a gesture of an opposing party. It was not under the protection of any kind of freedom of speech. It was an act of treason. If caught, they would be arrested, they would be imprisoned, and possibly hanged for being treasonous to the British government. 
Many of them during the war lost their property, lost their homes and their goods, being confiscated as the British controlled their parts of our country. These men laid everything on the line. Remember, this was not, and we also have to remember this, this was not the will of all the people. There were loyalists who didn't think we should be independent, that were against them. Just like there are people today who have different sides and different opinions in America today. Papers had different opinions in those days, just like CNN and the Fox News have different opinions today. And we need to think about these great freedoms that came to us because people were willing to risk everything for us to have them. I think about the Civil War and the thousands of lives that were lost as they fought over national unity or states' rights all around the issue of slavery and people who saw themselves as God-fearing Christians who supported slavery. And it causes me to pause and search the word more closely on every opinion to make sure I'm not being shaped by my culture instead of being shaped by the word. I think about North Africa and the beaches of Normandy and the battles across France and Belgium and Germany. And here is Germany, a country rich with Christian tradition but became silenced in the face of fascism and seduced by bigotry and national pride that would lead to a world war that would cost millions and millions of lives. And I think about today in our battle with radical Islam and people who see themselves as called to usher in a new world order and so many nations' vain attempts to be nice and hope that it gets better. What are the actions of a great Christian America, American in the face of the issues that we face today? The issues that come, come to us. Well, let me start with one that is very easy and that I believe all of us know the truth about this one. You could probably say it before me. We should pray for our country. Amen? We should pray for God to bring a great awakening. We should pray for our leaders to be led by God, to be awakened in the night and to be stirred, for conscience to come back into their spirits and into their lives, for them to do the right things. We should pray for them not to just be a people who are trying to hold on to political power, but a people who are willing to do what is right. We should pray for our leaders to have wisdom. We should pray for our, from our president down to our mayor. Now, do you agree with that? Okay. We agree with it. We know it's in Scripture. We've heard it hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times. So here's the question. How much have you done that this year? How many times in your prayer time have you stopped and said, I'm going to take the next five minutes. I'm going to take the next three minutes. I'm going to take the next two minutes. And I'm going to do nothing but pray for America. I'm going to pray for our president and ask God to move in his life. I'm going to pray for our congressmen and women and ask God to move in their life. I'm going to pray for our judges, for God to awaken them to righteous judgment. 
I'm going to pray for our country to turn back to biblical moral standards. How much time have we done it? We know the truth. We know what we should do. Are we stirred enough yet to do it? When we have an illness in our body, we're facing a surgery or we're facing a, a diagnosis that's uncomfortable, we, we pray then. We call all of our friends and talk to our C2 groups and we tell them, pray, pray. And we don't forget it for a day. If we have a child living in rebellion or a grandchild making bad choices, choices that will hurt them, oh, we pray then. We gather others to pray. We ask others to pray. And we pray daily. We don't forget it for maybe an hour. If our spouse begins to act up and begins to seem like they may be ready to leave us, oh, we, we come to prayer service and prayer times then. See, too many times, though, we wait until the horse is out of the barn before we begin to pray. We have that with our country today. How much are we praying for our country? William Nelson Cromwell is a professor of law at Harvard, uh, Harvard Law School. Listen to what he says. The culture wars are over. They lost. We won. For liberals, the question now is how to deal with the losers and the culture wars. That's mostly a question of tactics. My own judgment is taking the hard line. You lost. Live with it. Is better than trying to accommodate the losers who remember defended and are defending positions that liberals regard as having no normative pull at all. Trying to be nice to the losers didn't work well after the Civil War. I should note that the LGBT activists in particular seem to have settled on the hardline approach while some liberal academics defend more accommodating approaches. When specific battles in the culture wars were being fought, it might have made sense to try to be accommodating after a local victory because other related fights were going on and a hard line might have stiffened the opposition in those fights. But the war's over, we won. Conservatives are the equivalent of racists and Nazis because they believe human beings whose lives begin at conception have a right to exist and that marriage has an intrinsic natural, uh, intrinsic nature central to which is sexual differentiation. No more, no more need for political, to be politically expedient or have rhetorical deception about tolerance and diversity. Carpe diem, seize the day. Now this, this is the, the things that are, these are the things that are being taught in institutions that are shaping the thinking of our leaders into the future. If you believe that marriage is a sacred thing before God, you're equivalent to a Nazi. If you believe life begins at conception, you're equivalent, you know, to some racist. How do you feel about that? Listen, the great Christian American will not be disheartened. He will not feel defeated or fearful because of these words. The great Christian American remembers some things. 
Christians remember that Pharaoh thought the victory was his at the Red Sea. That the people of Jericho thought the walls were impenetrable. And that the Philistines thought they had an unbeatable champion. But God was yet to speak. Let the law professors of the world, world say what they will. But if the church will pray, God will move. Nothing is bigger than God. The question remains, will we pray? Will we seek God for our country? Will we take the time? Will we be concerned enough? Will we let the news bother us enough that we'll actually turn it off from time to time and say, okay, that's a call to prayer. I need to seek God. Will we do that? Here's the second thing. Great Christians know that they have a responsibility to do what they can do. See, Moses had to lead them to the Red Sea before the Red Sea was going to part. They had to march around Jericho for seven days before the walls were going to fall. And somebody had to come down off of the side of the hill and walk down in the valley and look the giant in the eye. Somebody had to do something. Christians, we are not allowed to be actionless. We must do what we can do. We must act where we can act. Let me give you some clear biblical perspective on this. There are those in our country who feel like, and you may be one of them, it's okay, that the answer to the financial woes of our state or our nation is greater taxation. Uh, that we need to pay more and redistribute the wealth and that people should be paying more in taxes. Now, I, I, when I, I, I will say this. I find it interesting when some fabulously rich person says this. I just want to say to them, well, go ahead. <laughs> Send some more in. Uh, pay some more. Now, I, I'm not attacking that perspective. I'm just saying, if you believe it, do it. If that's your perspective... Just, you know, write the check to the government and say, hey, I, I believe we should be paying more. So, oh, pastor, that's ridiculous. No, no, no. I believe in tithing. I'm not going to wait for everybody else to catch on. I believe it's the right way to do things. I feel like I'm blessed when I, when I, when I tithe. I feel like it's the right thing to do. Whether you tithe or not, I am. Amen. It's the right thing to do. If I believe that, that, that we should redistribute and that some of us are just have way too much money, then, you know, do, be, be righteous, do what you think is right, and send more in. That's a perspective, isn't it? Now, the other side would say, no, we, we should let people who work and will be innovative have it. They will create jobs and more people will be working and revenue will go up and taxes will go up and we should cut wasteful spending, which none of them seem to do. We should do all of this stuff and that'll make our or, you know, our economy better. Here's the biblical perspective. Let me tell you the truth, just so you understand it. Are you ready? It doesn't matter. You may like one over the other. It doesn't matter. 
If God doesn't bless it, it won't work. If God does bless it, it will work. That's the biblical perspective. One party believes in big government with lots of control, and the others say they believe in smaller government, even though it still grows on the federal level when they're in control. But from a kingdom of God perspective, there are many philosophies that just don't matter. Now, you may want to argue with me vehemently over why you believe in your perspective and why you believe it should be big government or small government or more taxes or less taxes. And I have my personal opinions, what I'd rather see happen on that. They're personal opinions. They have nothing to do with biblical perspective. Biblical perspective lays out one central thing. If God blesses a country, it's blessed. If he doesn't, it isn't. It doesn't matter what, ha- what, what else mankind is doing. The strength is not in man's idea. The strength is in God's blessing the bible does not say the right tax plan exalts a nation nor does it say big government or small government exalts a nation it says righteousness exalts a nation so listen to the word righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people let me read from the message version god devotion makes a country strong god avoidance leaves people weak. From the New Century Version, doing what is right makes a nation great, but sin will bring disgrace to any people. So here's the deal. If we do what's righteous, the strength of God. If we do what's right, the strength of God is added to us. If we walk in sin, it's going to be disgraceful. It's going to weaken us. It's going to destroy us. So what can I do? I can do my best to live a righteous life. I can do my best to do the right thing, to take care of the poor, to help the needy. I I can do my best to clean up my language. I can do my best to clean up my actions. I can get pornography and the sinful things of this world out of my life not supporting those things, not being a part of those things. I can love my neighbor. I can be sexually biblical. I can tell the truth. I can worship. I can give. And a list of other, I can begin to do what's right. The great Christian American walks and does his best to do what's righteous. Because righteousness will exalt your home. Righteousness will exalt your church. Righteousness will exalt your nation. Don't be confused. There'll be forces come against you. But you'll have the strength of God going with you. Now here's the other thing I can do. I can vote. I've never been one to get up here and tell people who to vote for. That's not, I don't think I've ever, ever done that. This year, the unfavorability ratings on both major candidates is sky high. You may not like either one of them. But if you're voting, a voting age, a great Christian American is going to vote. Franklin Graham said it just a few weeks ago. There's more than one election going on, and every election matters. Who we put in as judges, who we put in in school boards, who we put in as city leaders, 
all of it matters. All of it counts. So how do I choose who to vote for, especially when I may not care for either one of them? Well, you don't vote for a party. I know if you're a hardline Republican or Democrat, that may shake you up. But we're not called to be Democrats or Republicans and then Christians. We're called to be Christians and then everything else. You don't vote for what you think, what you're, what you think about the economy. Because listen, if God doesn't bless it, the economy's not going to be blessed anyway. What you do vote is you vote for righteousness. The great Christian American knows that it is righteousness that exalts a nation. And that our freedoms were established by our founding fathers in the Bill of Rights. Who will come closest to supporting the Bill of Rights as you prayerfully believe in it, especially the freedom of religion? See, the, the biggest question that we're facing today as a nation with our national leader is this. Who are our judges going to be? Who are they going to put into place to make judgments on these kind of laws that we just heard about when a, when a law like that gets passed and a Christian university comes against it, what are the judges going to say? What's going to happen? When it comes to understand, who, who comes closest to understanding the lie that we are being told about the separation of church and state? The whole idea, the whole idea of the separation of church and state was that government was not supposed to select a religion. But listen, these guys who made that law, these are guys who prayed openly in Congress to open Congress. They put their hands on Bibles to be sworn in to Congress. They based their idea of freedom on the fact that all men are created equal, not evolved equally. That there is a great creator that we're going to stand before. So here's my challenge to you. Vote and vote your beliefs on the moral issues. What do you believe is righteous about the issue of marriage? What do you believe honors God, is God-centered? Then vote for people who believe the way you believe. What do you believe is righteous about the LGBT influences coming into our nation what is the righteous thing and who comes closest to supporting our freedoms in those issues what do you believe is righteous about the abortion issue what do you believe is the righteous thing and vote your morals what do you believe the gov is the government's righteous role to protect its citizens from things like ISIS and what should we be doing about the genocide of Christians and Jews, and hear me, homosexuals at their hands? Should our nation be silent? Should we do nothing? Should we appease them? Or should we have a voice in this world to say these things need to stop? What about their treatment of women and children, what is the righteous stand that our government should take? So here's the question. What are you willing to stand before God and say, 
I supported that. Do you really want to stand before God and say, yeah, I knew there were great issues of the day going on, but I, I just didn't have time to even research it, think about it, consider it, and cast a vote on it. Do you really want to say, yeah, I, I thought about those things, but those weren't important to me. What was important to me was my political affiliation. How do you want to stand before God someday? Listen, our voices can make a difference. Years ago, my father was in, invited to pray at a banquet for uh, one, of the, one of the state uh, houses' get-togethers. The state senator that invited him uh, called my dad and said, we'd like for you to come, we'd like for you to be there, we'd like for you to pray for this event, would you do it? My dad said yes. He said, good. He goes, I will pick you up. I'll come by your house and pick you up. And so he came by the house that day and a man came up to the car and came up to the house and got my dad and he went and got in the car with the, the state senator. And the man looked at my dad and he said, I want to shake the hand of the man who stopped and he named a bill that had been going through the state legislature at that time that was a bill on some moral issues. And he said, I want to shake the hand of the man who stopped that from happening. And my dad looked at him and said, you give me way too much credit. He said, all, all I did was call a few people. He says, I know, you called me. He said, and I don't give you too much credit. I was going to vote for that bill, and I got a note from you and a call from you asking me not to. And I decided that if the pastor in town was concerned about it, I should look into it a little bit more. And because of that note, I looked into it a little bit more, and I changed my mind, and I showed my finding to two of my colleagues, and they changed their mind with me. We were the swing votes, and that bill stopped because of your note. One voice, your voice, can make a difference. We can say something. And at the right moment, at the right time, the Spirit of God can do a work in somebody's life. And a course can be changed. We can, we're wired and empowered of God to make a difference in this world. So I want to challenge you one more time. When you see bad things happening in America, don't be disheartened. Don't be defeated. Definitely don't bury your head in the sand. Begin to pray. When you see the direction that our country's going in so many ways, don't, don't, don't be overwhelmed. Don't be seduced. Don't say, oh, I better go along with that. No, no. Do what's righteous. Righteousness exalts a nation. Listen. You don't become a great man or woman of God unless you come up against some great forces sometimes and stand in the middle of them. And so the call for us is, that, is to be a people that no matter what happens around us, we stand firm in the word of God. Listen, here's what Jesus says. If you lose your saltiness, what good are you? You're good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men. For too long, the church hasn't done. The church has compromised. The church in, the, in America has not prayed faithfully, and we've been trampled by men. If the church in America would wake up and do what's righteous and pray,
guess what? The saltiness will return. We can't do anything about any other church in town. We can't do anything about any other church in our nation. But we can be the people God wants us to be. We can do what's righteous in our lives. We can vote for what's righteous on our ballots. We can pray for what's righteous in our days. And we can ask God to move in our country. We're going to close today a little differently. I'm going to ask Dan to come up. And we're going to sing a song we've already sang today. I love this song. I sing this song so many times, uh, many, many times when I, in my own private prayer time. And it's, it's a prayer. We sang it today already. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Listen, revive us again. I love the, the line, may each soul be rekindled with fire from above. This is, a, this is a song of prayer. Do you believe America needs to be rekindled? Do you believe we need to be revived again? Do you believe the church in America needs to do the right thing? Listen, do not be disheartened. You're by the Red Sea, don't be freaked out. The giants in the valley, don't run and fall back in fear. Stand strong in faith, believe in God, do what is righteous, and let God do what he can do. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together today. Father, I come before you in my weakness, but I come before you in your strength. And Father, I pray that you would awaken us, that we would not sleep or slumber but that we would be aware of what's going on in the world around us today. We'd be aware of, of real threats against our freedoms. That, Father, there are those who would take our freedom and proclaim truth from our pulpits away from us today. But, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would revive our nation one more time. We pray you'd touch our leaders and put leaders into place, Father, that would hear your spirit and be led by your spirit and do what is right we pray the voices against righteousness and what is true that would lead people to eternal damnation eternal separation to pain and suffering upon this earth father they would be silenced and that your voice would be heard and we pray you'd help us as a people lord to be rekindled in our spirit that we would be a righteous people that we would do what's right every place we go every day. Now, Lord, you know the need of every person in this room today. And today, Father, we pray you'd minister to those needs. And Father, even now, if there's someone whose heart is far from you, that even at this moment, they would simply surrender their heart to your Son and ask your Son to come into their life and that, Father, you'd save their soul. Move in us, Lord, and let us be a people committed to your truth. And let our country, Father, truly walk in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I'm going to ask some of our prayer team members just to come down right now. And they're just going to be down here around the front. We're going to dismiss this service.
But if you have a prayer need, uh, they'll just be standing down here in the front while others are leaving. You can come down. If you're unsure of your salvation, come on down and talk to somebody. If you have any need at all, come down and talk. We'll be happy to pray with you. Do you love our country? Then let's do what you... Yeah, amen. Amen. Then let's do what's righteous. Amen. Let's pray for our country and let's live righteously. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord and may his joy be upon your heart today.